So our next speaker for the day is Carlos Manuel Jacquin. He's 16 years old. I think he's with us already, right? So may I once again introduce you? Yep. To, yeah, introduce you to the next speaker of the day. That is Carlos Manuel Jacquin. He's 16 years old with a mission to solve energy production and energy storage via nanotechnology and advanced materials and creative writing. He is a high schooler at the Buckley School with an interest in nanotechnology and material and material science. He's a student intern at the Climate Crew and author of 100 Nano Stories Bookmarked, an ebook on medium.com which talks about the material science of nanomaterials, aerogel, and graphene. His, his session topic is nanomaterial material science. Please welcome with me, Carlos Manuel. Welcome once again, and the floor is yours. That's for Carlos. All right. Uh, thank you so much. So yeah. um, I will be I will be presenting Google Slides, um, so I will just get that up in one second. So let me find it. Tell me if you can see this quickly. We we can see you, but not the slide right now. Yeah, the slide is there. We see the slide now. Thank you. All right, perfect. So I'll get it started. So here we go. So hello everyone. So thank you for the intro. Um, however, um, my name is Carlos Manuel Harkin. So just to pronounce it correctly, and I come from the Knowledge Society, which is a global program where it teaches kids from the ages of 13 to 17 how to solve the world's biggest problems. Some of these world's biggest problems are, for example, climate change or act or poverty or maybe access to clean water. And many many things like that and we try to see what are the next what are the emerging technologies or other derivatives like this try and make a global impact rather to solve the problem of billions so we like to think at a large scale and for me um, it would be trying to solve this climate change um, via policy reform and with a bit of extra boost from technology specifically nanotechnology for nanotechnology absorption and today I want to teach you a little bit about what is material science and what is the future of nanotechnology in the form of a story with Google Slides as my as my trusty little kid. So let's get started. So pick up. So I want you to do an exercise and it is to pick up anything that is right next to you. So for me, it would be this pen uh, or this pencil. So just pick up anything random. All right. So if you have, let's say, a pencil in your hand, well, the pencil is made out of graphite. Graphite is purely made out of carbon. However, if you have your phone, it is made out of methyls. Uh, sorry, metals, like a lithium ion. That can also be found in batteries, for example. And some of it is in your phone. However, most of it is found in lithium ion batteries. Now, for example, if you have a book, you could easily bend it. However, my pen, I can't really bend it at all if I don't apply any force or if I don't try. 
So you might be wondering how come how come some things are bendable, some things are not. Why are some things so brittle or like they easily break, whereas some things you may need like an entire truck to try and break it. Well, each of them have different properties, and these properties are determined by the fundamental construction of them. So by now you're thinking, wow, the world's made out of different things. These different things are called materials, and materials is basically they have different properties, or they can do different things. So one thing will be good for bending. Some things are good to hold a lot of weight, like for example, the road. There's a reason why the road doesn't shatter when the car tires roll around it, or there's a reason why you can kick a soccer ball and you won't break your foot. If you try to kick a boulder, of course, that would be a different situation, because there there is a lot of weight, and the rock is composed of different material thanks to the construction or the fundamental building blocks. Whereas a soccer ball, it's naturally soft. And you can easily kick it. So now you're wondering, okay, but why is this? Like, why aren't all the things the same? Like, why aren't they all bendable, or why aren't they easy to kick around? Well, if we take a look at the fundamental construction of the materials, you'll find out that materials are just a bunch of atoms rearranged in a certain way. For those who are wondering, what are atoms? Think of atoms as Lego pieces. So, so atoms are basically like small Lego pieces. If you arrange them in a certain way, you will be able to build something new with it. And when you rearrange them something new, and you use the same Lego bricks and you construct something else, yeah, they may be the same Lego bricks, but they'll look completely different. So now let's give you a real-world example of these Lego bricks, which are just atoms. So. In the slide in front of me, or in the slide in front of you, you can see that there are five different materials. However, all of them are constructed by one element, and that element is carbon. So, what you're looking at here is basically the same element, but rearranged in a different way. So, if you stack carbon atoms on top of each other, you will get a material called graphite, which is in your pencil. However, if you decided to remove all the layers and just wanted to keep one layer, you would end up with graphene, which is also known as the world's most electrically conductive material. All you did was just remove a bunch of atoms, and you removed a bunch of layers, and now you have something that is extremely conductive. But now, let's say you decided to roll, you decided to roll up that single layer. Now you have a carbon nanotube. Which is very, very strong thanks to the bonds of this carbon atom. But now, let's say you decided to even roll it up even more, then you would have fullerene, or I guess you could say the carbon soccer ball, if that helps to remember. And then, let's say you decided to rearrange it in the form of a crystal, then you would get diamond. And as you know, diamond is very hard to break with your hands. And yeah, all of these materials are only made out of carbon. Now think of the real world where you have different types of atoms and elements. That is huge. So really, the properties like this pen—I can't break it. It's really just a bunch of atoms or a bunch of Lego pieces rearranged in a certain way.
to give me the property that I need. Because remember, if let's say, for example, my computer, if it was rearranged a certain way, it probably would not be able to function the way it does right now. So the rearrangement of these materials are very, very important for us to sustain life. Without materials, there's no form of life that we have today. No arrangement, no life, pretty much. So yeah, for those who are wondering now, that's material science. So what is the nanotechnology? Nanotechnology is a branch of this material science. So nanotechnology in simple terms is basically if you re if you think of the atoms or the molecules as Lego pieces, then it's basically the rearrangement of these small little Lego pieces, which are just the atoms. So with material science, it's you're looking at the properties of of a material. Nanotechnology is taking it one step further by saying, hey, let's move them around by our own will. So you're not so basically you have the power to rearrange them at your own pace and at your own ease without having to allow nature to do it itself. And with this, it can be very powerful. So with nanotechnology, what you're able to do is basically literally construct new materials just by having a bunch of atoms and then saying, you know what, I want to build, I want to build a certain material this way without having a, without letting nature decide the properties yourself. You can decide if the material is bendable or electrically conductive or thermally insulating or it can repair itself. That's literally what nanotech is. It's I decide what the properties are, not nature. I decide. So what are the most important properties? Now, as I mentioned, with nanotechnology, there is one specific thing that, that I mentioned is you decide the properties. However, it only depends on the atom. The atoms have different properties. So for example, carbon is very electrically conductive if you arrange it properly. So what are some of these most important properties depending that's what's inside the atom for those who are wondering. One biggest thing in nanotechnology is its surface area. So what is a surface area? It is literally just how it sounds. It's how much space can this material cover from the surface of, of the material or of its environment. So for example, a piece of paper or a leaf actually has a lot of surface area compared to the volume. So what I mean by this is if you look at the surface, it can cover up so much, but the thickness or the volume of the leaf or of a sheet of paper is very, very, very small. You can't even tell. So with that surface area, that means this, it can cover a lot of area with only a small amount of thickness. And that's what most and that's what most materials desire is a lot of a lot of uh, a lot of length, a lot of width, but not but very 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 little thickness. That will give you a lot of surface area. So, for example, uh, a cup of coffee that doesn't really have a lot of surface area because there is a lot of thickness in that cup or where the coffee is being held. However, a piece of paper has a lot more surface area because it is or a leaf. Um, whichever helps but basically it can cover a lot of surface with only small amount of thickness so that is very important in nanotechnology is trying to have a lot of surface area but but very little thickness or volume 
the next thing is surface chemistry with surface chemistry it is just literally how it sounds it's basically what are the reactions that occur at the surface of a material because with the at the surface of a nanomaterial it is completely different than on the inside of the material why it is the forces that interact between the molecules so if you can tell from the photo here you are wondering that wait those bubbles of those bubbles of water um, for those who don't know, the the right side is water and the left side is oil. So you're wondering, wait, wait a second. What is water doing with oil? Like, why aren't they just going inside? It is because of the intermolecular bonds. So for those who want this in layman's terms, basically on the bulk of or on the inside of the oil, the bonds between the molecules are very strong that you know what we don't need to do anything else we'll just stay there but if you take a look at the surface you realize that they're pulling from every direction the bonds of these molecules are pulling from every direction except up which is where the water is so that means it needs something else for it to attach and that's when the water comes in so at the surface it's basically looking for something else to grab on because at the bulk it has a bunch of uh, has a bunch of oil for it to attach but at the surface it doesn't so it's like saying i need something else i need something else but on the inside you don't need anything else so that's why you see these attachment of water and the oil at the surface and it guess what it only happens at the surface because that's where it lacks one more bond or at least another a few more bonds for it to attach to something so that's surface chemistry that's one example and for those who don't know what it's called, it's called adsorption. So basically where one thing attaches to the surface, but it doesn't go inside. It just stays there at the surface to create a bond. And quickly through some others, stiffness. Like for example, my pen, it's kind of stiff, like I can't bend it. That's one example of stiffness. Strength. Some materials are very, very strong, like diamond. Diamond is kind of strong. Uh, I would... I would actually try and recommend try and break one if you don't believe me. Now, transparency. It's easy with glass. Glass is pretty transparent. However, there are more transparent materials than that. However, with transparency, most of the time, the reason why glass is transparent, for those who didn't know, is because it is amorphous. Amorphous means that the material does not have an actual order. So, like, the molecules and the atoms inside of glass they're not rearranged in a specific order. They're kind of, you know, all over the place. So the, what that allows is for the glass or the light to diffuse through with the less with less chance of bouncing back towards your eyes. So that allows the properties of glass to be transparent or you can see the other side without any blurriness or uh, haze, whatever you like to call it. And one of my favorites is insulation. So basically, one minute story of climate change with climate change we are basically wasting a lot of energy why well because there isn't anything to keep the energy from escaping so if we have more insulative materials we basically don't need to use a lot of energy to actually store let's say maybe ac or to keep the temperature at a certain plate at a certain uh stable temperature at a certain place if we had more insulation or thermal insulation we wouldn't need to worry about that anymore and we can actually produce less energy and harm the environment a lot less.
So those are just some of the most important properties that you can find in certain atoms when you're attempting nanotechnology or manipulation of a material at your own will. However, you may be thinking, damn, that's a lot of nanomaterials. Because, yes, if you think about it, there's a lot of materials like pencil sharpener, pen, notebook, um, sunscreen. That's a lot of materials. But with nanomaterials, it's basically saying, you know what, let's get smaller. And then there you have an infinite number. So how do we classify these? So this is actually the most formal way of classifying our nanomaterials quickly. So quickly, I'll give you the rundown of how it works. So you basically, it comes down to the dimensions of this material. So how do the dimensions work? There is 0D, 0-dimensional, zero 1-dimensional, 2-dimensional, and 3-dimensional. So in any material, there are three dimensions, length, width, and height. So if your nanomaterial is 0-dimensional, it means all the dimensions, length, width, and height, are smaller than 100 nanometers. For those who need an idea of how small 100 nanometers is, if you took a marble and you put it here on Earth, the entire Earth would be one meter and the marble would be one nanometer. That's how small we're talking. So that so that is zero dimensional. It's basically saying all three dimensions, length, width, and height are that size of that marble, like that small. One dimensional means either length, width, and height, two of them, you can pick whichever two, are at are are under 100 nanometers. So let's say length and width are at are under 100 nanometers or that size of that marble that I mentioned but height you can actually see the height so one example is nanotubes if you take a look at a nanotube you may see that hey I can't see the length I can't see the width like or thickness but I can see how long it is like the height or the length as whichever you would like to call it and you realize huh I can I can just barely see it but I can't see anything else that is a one-dimensional nanomaterial Two-dimensional nanomaterials are like bed sheets, so you can actually see the length, you can see the height of how tall this um, of the nanomaterial, but the thickness is still under uh, 100 nanometers. So that basically means you can't even see how thick it is. It's kind of like a piece of paper. You can't really see the thickness. You may have to like put it closer to your eyes or zoom in, but with a nanomaterial, it's the thickness is smaller than a piece of paper. So that is, that is much, much smaller. And finally, the three-dimensional nanomaterials. So that means length, width, and height are greater than 100 nanometers. So that means you don't need a microscope or a scanning electron microscope to see this material. You can see it in front of your eyes. And that, these are, this is where um, the difference between 2D and 3D is where you are actually able to actually use it. With two-dimensional nanomaterials, you need to use a scanning electron microscope. But with a 3D nanomaterial, you are able to literally use it at your own, at whatever you want to do. Graphite, graphite, the stuff that's in your pencil, that's a 3D nanomaterial, and you use it almost every day when you go to school. So that's one example of where you can use it in real life. Other types of 3D nanomaterials are like piled graphene and polycrystals and diamond. Diamond is one example because you can stack it up and you can probably use it for a proposal. 
So now that I mentioned all of this, let's go down and explore one of my favorite nanomaterials and a little bit of what I've done for the last few minutes of the presentation. So let's talk about a 3D nanomaterial that actually started from a 0D nanomaterial. So for those who don't know what aerogel is, it's right up there. It's the world's lightest solid. So it is around 99.8% air by volume. So basically, if I decided to take out all the air from the aerogel, it would weigh less than air. So that is that is how light. That's how light it is. So and yes, it is a 3D nanomaterial. Although it is zoomed in, you can literally see the length the width or thickness and the height of this material and for some reason i always remember uh, this one you can think of aerogel as like the uh as the uh technological con candy if you would like to think about it like that so for those who need a little bit of a for those who need help remembering so for those who are wondering okay if that's nice that's nice that it's the lightest solid what are quickly some of its properties the biggest property that it may have that the property the biggest property that it has is thermal insulation so this is something that i was talking about for climate change is this can easily insulate anything so basically let's say if you accidentally uh let's say if you accidentally stumbled upon the arctic but you have one of these aerogel jackets you can actually maintain your temperature for a good long time or let's say if you might have the chance of, if you accidentally burn yourself but if you have something that is aerogel coated, you wouldn't even feel anything at all. Like that's how thermally insulating it is. It can insulate fire or cold or pretty much anything that has heat inside it. So that is how strong this uh, thermal insulation is. But as, all, as always, aerogel doesn't come from anywhere. It actually comes from nanotechnology where we manipulate the process and this is how it works. So, with it actually comes from 0D nanomaterials. And if we go back previously, 0D nanomaterials are nanoparticles. So, it actually originates from a sol gel process. This sol gel process originally starts as nanoparticles. These nanoparticles, if you can tell from this photo, you may see small little dots on this blue aerogel. Those are like bulk versions of the nanoparticles. And with these nanoparticles, they are basically stacked. They are basically stacked on top of one another and they create this skeleton. Sorry? Carlos, is it is it possible for you to wind up, please? In like, another uh, two, two minutes or three minutes? Yeah, I will be done in around two, three minutes. Thank you. All right. So going back so quickly, so with this soul gel process, this is how the process is called the soul gel. So it starts off as a solution of pure small little marbles or Lego pieces that are called nanoparticles. And with these nanoparticles, they have the properties that, that are based off either of silica, which is a combination of a silicon atom and oxygen, or pure carbon. And what these have is, if you have silica, it is thermally insulated. If it's carbon, you will have an electrically conductive aerogel or material. And during the solution, they are basically formed together and added by more, more chemicals that are called precursors, which allow for a new reaction to occur. And that's where the endoskeleton, 
of the aerogel is born and that's why that's why it is the world's lightest solid that skeleton that you can barely see is what allows for the aerogel to be formed or to be created and once the solution is complete what we allow it to do is age so that the nanoparticles actually make a stronger bond in the skeleton to create the bulk of the aerogel and finally it is dried it is super critically dried to at a very high temperature at around um 30 around 73 degrees celsius and elevated to a very high pressure to actually make sure that we can remove the liquid and keep only air inside this aerogel and that's how we end up with either on the left the world's most thermally insulating material and on the right the world's most electrically conductive material so Please connect with me if you enjoyed this presentation, and I highly suggest to take a screenshot of this if you're interested. And thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. It was really enlightening, and we really enjoyed ourselves. Uh, it's